We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, what's going on, everyone? This is Richie, and thanks again for joining us for episode 93 of BuzzBeat. Spencer and Brian will join me, as always, to break down your Charlotte Hornets as they continue to show little signs of hope heading into these final 20 games or so. Just a reminder, we are a member of the Blue Wire Network, and you can visit the website at bluewirepods.com for more content. Uh, they even have BuzzBeat apparel as well. I actually ordered a baseball tee with the BuzzBeat logo on it. On today's episode, we're going to recap Sunday's loss against the Blazers. And then as the episode progresses, we'll talk more big picture stuff as the Hornets hit the home stretch here. First, let's check in on the co-host. Spencer, looks like you had a uh, relaxing weekend, played some golf, took your mind off the Hornets. So how'd that go for you? Uh, it, it went good. It, yeah, relaxing is one way to put it. I, you know, I play college golf, so I get in anything that's competitive in general, especially golf now, though it's not as relaxing as it should be. So me and my buddy from Salt Lake City, we get up and we, we uh, meet in Charleston, South Carolina and play in this tournament every year. And this year we actually showed up to play and like gave ourselves a chance to, to win. Uh, we didn't, but... Yeah, relaxing is an interesting word, Richie, for you to use because it's like I said, it's not as relaxing as it should be. But uh, but yeah, I, I was telling you guys before we jumped on here. I mean, I have been watching hoops um, every second I've had a chance for the past 24 hours, just because every single year I go on this trip and every single year I'm like, okay, I just missed every second of the three Hornets games that were played in four days. So uh, playing a little bit of catch up here, but yeah, nothing's changed with yeah. the Hornets. Yeah. <laughs> And Brian, I'm sure your life is getting busier too as March Madness approaches. Would that be an accurate statement? Yeah, 100. percent It's uh, it's. I mean, keeping up with the ACC and especially Duke and UVA and UNC and State, plus the NBA in particular, the Hornets, just crazy. And um, yeah, ACC tournament coming up last week at the ACC regular season for men's basketballs this week. And I'll be down in y'all's neck of the woods, heading down to Charlotte uh, next Monday, actually, which I'm really excited for. And <clears throat> quick little bit of news, too. I'm going to get to do that Tuesday night at the ACC tournament. I'm going to get to do some color commentary for one of the radio broadcasts that's going nice. to be on uh, 99.9 The Fan here in Raleigh and, and Durham and Chapel Hill that I'm pretty excited about. That's and, awesome. Uh, 
Yeah, so that'll be cool. But yeah, no, it's crazy. I'm kind of, as much as I love college hoops, I won't be, like, you know, when it ends, it'll be okay because I can just focus in on the NBA and, 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 and the Hornets. Until right now, you got to enjoy the busyness, though. Yeah. Well, you'll have to send out that link uh, or, you know, however we can access that uh, that radio uh-huh. call. We'll do. Yeah, yeah, we'll do. We'll do. Yeah, it's big news, Brian. Good stuff. Yeah, I was, I'm pretty excited about it. I'm hoping to bring, you know, a little bit of a – I mean, the same approach you hear on BuzzBeat to that. Just hopefully, you know, less a little more um, – just bring a little bit of a number, stats-based approach to the uh-huh. call in the game. And um, the, the dude doing play-by-play is a buddy of mine, who uh, this guy Darren Vaught who actually produces the David Glenn show. And uh, I think it'll be fun working with him on the call too. So I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. All right. So the Hornets played the Blazers on Sunday. And again, uh, they were doomed by another slow start as the Blazers outscored the Hornets 32-25 in the opening quarter, scoring 1.28 points per possession. And then the Hornets did make a comeback and it got it within reach. Uh, you can't help but wonder if these slow starts are starting to become an issue for this team. Kimba Walker actually had an off night for Charlotte, and the team was propelled by Lamb and Kaminsky, both big contributors off the bench, combined for 41 points. And like I mentioned, this game was close towards the end of the third quarter, the beginning of the fourth quarter, uh, but then out of nowhere, Rodney Hood went off, scoring 21 points in the final period to seal this game, 118-108. So let's dig into this game first before we get into like big picture stuff down the road for the Hornets. So recapping this game, I think the biggest player or the biggest note that I had was Yusuf Nurkic's impact on this game. Uh, he finished with 26 points, 6 assists, and 15 rebounds. But the biggest thing that I noted as the game was taking place, and I had to check after the game to see if this actually was the case, was his screen assist. And check, you know, I checked them on NBA.com, and sure enough, he had eight screen assists, leading to 21 points, which is just a ton. Uh, he does a lot for that Portland team. Bruiser has toughness that a lot of Hornets lack and can play on both ends of the court. He had 20 contested shots this game. So to me, he was the player of the game for the Blazers, and a lot of their success was due to him. And I feel like he highlights a lot of the Hornets' negatives uh, in this game, just the way that he played. And you know, he was he was a beast on the boards. The the Blazers were a beast on the boards as well, uh, getting to those offensive glass uh, numbers with 13 offensive rebounds and 16 second-chance points. So I know, Spencer, you definitely want to talk about this, especially uh, when it comes to toughness with this team. You know, outside of Kemba, Marvin, Zeller, and then MKG, who's not even really playing right now, uh, there's a lot of players on this team that shy away from contact, a lot of players on this team that lack the mental toughness to compete. And, you know, whether that's on the boards or play defense. So I don't know if you want to speak to that, but this goes hand in hand with the way that Nurkic plays. He's tough. He's a bruiser. And then on our team, we don't have a lot of those. I mean, you nailed it when you mentioned lack of toughness, um, you know, when you were speaking in that three paragraphs or so, you know, before that, that's exactly it with this team right now. And I can't put my finger on, um, you know, how you flip that switch. I, and I doubt Borrego can either. He's trying to flip a switch, but, and we can talk about this more in the big picture part, but <clears throat> I, I'm not sure the switches that he's trying to flip are the right ones or anywhere close. I, I just really am skeptical at this point. I, you know, I, I think he's a good coach and I think he comes from a great system and has, has a great background, um, learn from the best in Greg Popovich, but I, I really am starting to scratch my head a little bit. But we'll talk about that later. Your point about Nurkic is absolutely correct. He really is like a Nikola Jokic light. Uh, yep. 
if, if you will. I mean, the way he impacts the game in almost every facet is uh, is super unique, and it's the way that the NBA is going when you look at a, what your big men can do. Um, you know, Nurkic is one of those guys where he's not an outside shooter, but he's so unique. Jokic kind of is. Nurkic is not, but Nurkic is so unique because they'll play through him at the high post. They'll give him the ball at the top of the arc, and he's such a good passer that yeah. if you give him that space, he still can make you pay, right? Um, and then obviously Rodney Hood in this game, like, you know, total outlier, out-of-body experience. But I was a Rodney Hood believer when he came out of Duke, so I, I kind of, like, have an internal smile when I see him play like this because I know it's in there. But, yeah, I mean, that's really what beat the Hornets in this one. Uh, you circle that, Nurkic, you know, which you – uh, outlined very well, Richie, and then you know, I, then I just think the Hornets' inability to rebound the basketball. I mean, if they just literally rebound the basketball and split even with the Trailblazers in this game, this you could probably boil, boil this one all the way down to a one possession game where Charlotte maybe has a chance. But uh, they just this team can't communicate defensively. I don't know. I'm not sure they even quite know what they're doing defensively, um, at least half of the time. And and when you when you compound that with not being able to to rebound, and we talked about it on the last episode, you're going to do all the switching. You're going to struggle on the glass. It's just what it is. Yeah. But but it, but if you're tough and, and you communicate and you box out and it, you know it, you have a gang rebounding mentality, you can overcome some of that stuff. This team has none of that right now. And, uh, it, it, I mean, you know, it, very surprised they got that win in Brooklyn uh, because I'm, I'm sitting here watching the first half of that before we jump on, and I'm like, they look awful defensively in this game too. You know, they're, very clearly the mindset and the plan, I think, right now is to put scoring on the floor and let's try to outscore yes. our yep. opponent. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's exactly yep. what it is. <clears throat> you guys said it, said it all here. Uh, just to be add a little bit of context, the Hornets down to 21st in the NBA – in defensive efficiency now, um, 112 points per 100 possessions, according to cleaning the glass. And yet, like I know for a while now, we sort of thought of Portland as this two-man band with Lillard and McCollum, and then maybe it was starting to become a bit of a big three, and that's sort of what it is now. But I think even in, inside of that big three with the Blazers, who are they're they're a damn good team. Um, Nurk had just become their second best player, you know, like he, like it, that, that's a thing that happened this season. He's been, he's been really, really good. And as Spencer said, he is sort of like a, a diet, uh, Nikola Jokic, although <laughs> I'm not sure the word diet has ever been used in the same sentence with, uh, Yusuf referring to Yusuf Nurkic before. So he's a big boy. Um, <laughs> it's a bad start for the starters. I mean, yeah. they, they really got off to a cold start shooting, um, shooting in this game. And I mean, I know we've seen there's been some positives with the new starting lineup with Miles Bridges in over Jeremy Lamb that currently now has a negative net rating of minus two and a half points per 100 possessions with Bridges, Kemba, Batum, Zeller and Marvin Williams that had been pretty good actually prior to um, certainly going into the Brooklyn game. And I think it got it took a much far bigger of a hit. Uh, against Portland, Rodney Hood was cooking in this game, six of ten shooting out of isolation or the pick and roll. Um, Spencer, like, like me too, man. I liked him coming. To, I covered him that thirteen fourteen season at Duke. It's my first year covering the league, and um, yeah, I was pretty sure that he could that he could be a player. He can at least score. I know last year in Cleveland was a bit of a dumpster fire, and this season wasn't off to a good start. But now you see what he's doing on, on the qualifying offer, and <clears throat> Rodney Hood might be making himself some money. 
in uh in free agency here. Yeah, big game for Lamb off off the bench. Uh, you know, the Hornets, you know, especially in the first half. But you could just see like the what was the score? It was it Portland was up one eighty one eighty, I believe, heading into the fourth quarter. And just like you knew what was gonna happen. I mean, like that it just so rarely do, do these toss up games go the way of the go the way of the Hornets and just to all in all, um, a tough game. Cody Zeller only five screen assists. Like on games like this, when when Charlotte can't get the pick and roll going, like they're just not going to beat good teams like Portland. Like good, look yeah. at the game against Brooklyn. I tweeted out that I don't have them right in front of me. But I tweeted out the pick and roll numbers they put up against Brooklyn on Friday were were massive. I mean, they put up huge numbers out of the screen roll in that mm-hmm. game. Um, and really, right now, this formula that Charlotte's doing where they're trying to outscore you. Uh, you know, they've really got to load up and just crush teams on minutes when Kemba and Cody play together, especially. Uh, again, I tweeted out the numbers through the Houston game, so they would need to be updated after Brooklyn and Portland. But, like, basically, the previous – since the since Cody got back from his injury, Charlotte's been very, very good with Kemba and Cody on the court. And you take one of those guys off, or in particular, like Kemba, and they just – they just crumble. It's like it's like they got Ramon Sessions and Spencer Hawes back out there running around. You know, <laughs> any any minutes that they got out there with with Bismack Biombo are just tough to stomach at this point. Yeah, like I love. I, you know, I'm still a part of Biz Nation, I guess. But like, and I, and I love that guy. But like, they just get hammered every time that guy plays. Like, they just they it's just an avalanche of bad for them every time he steps on the court. Well, and. and, and- it's just and, it's just tough. They don't have a lot of they like they don't really have a better answer right now. You know what I mean? And like to that point, BG, like <clears throat> you know, we were talking about earlier, this team really just putting as much offense as they can get on the floor. Like if if Biz is not really, you know, he's not going to be a part of your future. You have a Willie Hernan Gomez sitting on the bench as one of the the cheaper contracts, <clears throat> you know, in the league, not being a first round pick. And what you know, why is he not on the floor? Uh, I, I just I can't understand that. Or if you're going to play biz, you know you're not going to play biz, and you don't want to put Willie on the floor, and that's fine. Don't do that. Then go small with Marvin. I just I agree with you. He brings nothing to the court. It's like Borrego's digging so deep that he's like, well, you know, let me put this one, you know, faction of rim protection on the floor around a lot of offense, and let's let's see what happens. But it's so random and yeah. inconsistent and. Uh, also 60 some games into the season that you know I, I just I don't understand the logic like it just fall on some we've got to land on something I think by now right he, like he's the time. he's the polar opposite of Clifford like Clifford has a had a set rotation and you know we bagged on him for that he stuck to a plan if things were going wrong he didn't change it so I do think there's some positive inconsistency like like Clifford brought like you mentioned Spencer it's just totally random with the way that he's doing things, and it just seems like players go from in the rotation playing some minutes, and then all of a sudden they're just completely out of the rotation, like MKG and Monk. Yeah. And for you to sit on the bench and be completely out of the rotation, I bet you they probably are out of tune with the game. I mean, I know that they're on the bench and cheering their team on, but if you try to insert Monk or MKG back into the lineup, I'm sure it's going to take them several games to kind of get back into the flow, wouldn't you think? I can't even imagine where Malik's confidence is right at this point. After yeah. like a, a, just a, a roller coaster second season that he came into with <clears throat> lots of hope and, and a fair amount of hype, then 
Then the trade deadline happens where maybe he's in a deal. He's not in a deal. That passes. He's a part. And he actually played decently, like, leading up to the deadline. And, and since then, in the All-Star break, he's been, it's been really tough. And then the last game before he gets kicked out of the rotation, I mean, Chris Paul just murders him. Like, just uh, just, like, just absolutely throttles. Uh, the, yeah, this was it. Rockets with Chris Paul on the court uh, for Houston, Malik Monk on the court for Charlotte. Houston plus 10 in five and a half minutes, 1.92 points per possession, 99 net rating, 86% effective shooting. Chris Paul, three of three shooting, two of two on threes, nine points on three field goal attempts, three assists, zero turnovers. And they literally, at the end of the first quarter, hit a three for two. Like Paul scored at 48 seconds, then he scored again at 30 seconds, then he scored again at the end of the quarter. Like boom, boom, boom. And this game that was like pretty competitive for a little bit, they just blew the doors off of them. Last 10 games with Kemba off the court, only 110 minutes, by the way. Like, they're they're running this guy into yeah. the ground right now because these games that are semi-close in the second half, like, they're, it's just like Kemba's going to end up playing 38, 39, 40 minutes in this game. Last 10 games, under 84 points per 100 possessions with Kemba Walker off the court, allowing 121 points per 100 possessions with him off the court for a net rating of minus – 37.6 points for 100 possessions, uh, a sub 41% effective shooting clip with Kemba off the court too. And in those minutes, not like Kemba has the responsibility to this, but just getting absolutely slaughtered uh, on the glass when he's on the bench. And that homestand they had with Washington, Brooklyn, Golden State, and Houston, that little four-game homestand where they went uh, one and three, but played in some kind of close games uh, with Cody Zeller off the floor, minus 48 points. In 64 minutes, plus 43 with him on, uh, with Kemba off the floor, minus 31 in 38 minutes, offense scoring 0.91 points per possession. Like in the in like in the Houston game, those numbers were even more exaggerated. Like they have to have those guys on way too much. They've got to be playing well. The pick and roll has got to be cooking. It just makes them just so predictable. And you just know what's yeah. gonna happen when those guys are out there. And if the shots are falling. The Hornets can be competitive because they avoid turnovers, and and then you know. But when they're off the court, they get they just get crushed, and it just makes this team so predictable and so easy to stop and to also score on. Yeah, and you know, <clears throat> all this mixing and matching just doesn't allow you to, you know, form any chemistry. I mean, this this lineup that we've seen in the last few games of Parker, Batum, Lamb. Uh, Marvin and Cody, I mean, they literally hadn't, they had not played together all season. And, you know, I see what we're trying to do here. You're trying to go cold turkey second unit for just a few minutes in the first quarter, and then you come back with two starters. You know, and now the Lamb's coming off the bench, you feel like you have some real firepower. But, you know, again, like we're just so deep into the season here. Um, you know, what are we doing? It's funny to me, though, because it's like <laughs> – this uh, inconsistency with the lineups plays to the larger theme and role, uh, or the larger theme of this team, which is just like living in that middle ground where nobody really understands what your plan is. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like that, that's, that's the, and it, it has nothing to do with like what the Hornets have been the last three seasons, you know, with this lineups, but it just like plays to that exact same theme. And it's, uh, it's just, it's just sad. It's depressing, right? Like, we got to have a plan for better or for worse at this point in the season. We need to have a plan. And, and just when you are the Hornets and you since post all-star break, 
defensive rebounding percentage, they're 21st. All right, through the first month or two of this season, they were right at the top of the league like they had been under Steve Clifford. Mm-hmm. You know, that didn't have seemed to fall off. That's fallen way off. Um, defensive rating-wise, the Hornets are 23rd since the All-Star break. So, Jesus. I, you know, it really has free-fallen in terms of a, just a general identity, um, I, I think, since since the All-Star break. And, you know, it's not a large sample size, but it's something, and it's something in the very most important part of the season. And, and you, you just, you, I'm sorry, but I, I think you do have to question Borrego's decisions and, you know, the levers he's trying to pull this late into the season. I mean, benching MKG is just, it's, I don't think it's, you, you can't make an excuse for it. I'm yeah, sorry. Like, yeah. it just just my opinion, like, it makes zero sense. The, the net rating numbers when that guy's on the floor in just about every lineup are positive. Um, no, he's not the defender that, that he was even a few seasons ago. I, I agree with the people that say that, but he bring, he gives you an edge, an energy, a toughness, uh, a, a communication factor that this defense has none of right now. That guy that brings all those intangible, almost uh, immeasurable factors to the floor that nobody else in this roster can. So to not play him is <laughs> it, it's a real head scratcher for me. Yeah, yeah. I think we should we should talk about MKG and Frank Kaminsky after this break. Let me get to a quick uh, ad break, real quick, and we'll talk about them because I definitely have some thoughts on both of those players and just some of the lineup changes. You know, being a Hornets fan can be stressful, so can life, uh, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At getethos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your first instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. GetEthos.com. All right, so let's talk about MKG. I know Spencer talked about this before the ad. Yeah, he has definitely fallen out of the rotation the past two games, uh, uh, unlike Frank Kaminsky, who has played in the rotation the past two games. Uh, I just kind of was looking this up to see kind of how MKG was trending. I think at the beginning of the season, and, and I was even on record saying this, outside of Kemba, to me, he was probably the most impactful player on this team. And, and I, I stand by that statement when it comes to talking about the first 20 games of the season. But I will say, Spencer, I'm not sure I can say that anymore. I don't think he's the second most impactful player on this team. Uh, I do think Zeller. his... Yeah, I mean, Zeller is probably the second most impactful player. And I do believe that MKG benefited from the switch to, uh, you know, switching to the bench, switching to the four more often. But I will say he was trending downwards and has been for the last couple of months. The five games prior to being removed from the rotation, MKG was only averaging five points, two and a half rebounds, and shooting just 40% from the field. The 20 games prior to that, he had been averaging close to eight points three and a half rebounds and shooting close to 50% from the field, which, you know, it's not all that great to begin with, but a whole lot closer to his season averages. So I think that 
Borrego, like we talked about before, he wanted more offense than defense. And I really do think that he views this guy as someone that can only maybe work in transition. And I I mean, he's very... He's very good in transition and makes this team better in transition, but he does kind of shrink the the floor a little bit because even his shooting numbers this year, his mid-range shooting has gone down. So that's just kind of all I have to say about MKG. I do think, like you said, Spencer, there are some immeasurable stuff that you can't put uh, on paper that he brings. Hustle, he's a, he's a great teammate, uh, but he does lack that shooting, and I, and I do think that's the biggest reason why he's been removed from this rotation. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Um, That is the logical explanation to why he's not in the rotation now. But, you know, I'll say this. If I was a coach of a team that uh, was middle of the pack defensively, a little less than that, and then within the matter of a manner of a month, I watched my team, like, nosedive to almost the bottom of the league, the last thing I would do was take my best defender off the floor permanently. Yeah. It it, it just is. I mean, and the the stats aside, like, period – uh, this guy gives me something that I don't have anywhere else in the roster. And, you know, it's not like the Hornets are, like, flirting with being a top-five offense. I would understand it more if we were so dominant offensively that it's like, well, if we can just push into the top three, you know, it's okay to be 25th defensively, right? But that, no, we're a league average offense, have been all year. Mm-hmm. So to not try to improve in the area that has obviously become – the most glaring weakness, that's not a strategy to me. In my opinion, it's just it doesn't make any sense to outscore the opponent when you know you're struggling as much as anybody in in this league to stop anybody. That's yeah. not a strategy. So Yeah. It's like the I get that Batum has 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 at least stepped up to try to be like a you know, like the like the those hornets like one A wing defender, but like Let's just like stop and think about the place where like the Hornets are at right now. If that's the case, you know what I mean. If you're like, yeah. well, all right, well, it, they're gonna need even more out of Nick Batum defensively. Like it's just kind of crazy. I, look, so I'll say this: there's this eight game small sample from February 5th through February 25th. Eight games uh, before the all before the deadline for the All Star break, and then leading until after the All Star break. Um, Hornets minus 69 points in 146 minutes with MKG on the court, uh, plus 23 in the 238 minutes with him off the court, with him on the court in those 145 minutes, 0.96 points per possession, uh, minus 25 net rating. And then the 45 minutes with him on the court and Kemba off the court, uh, 0.71 points per possession. So like they were like, this has got to be offensive you know, offensively motivated. And if you go back and watch the Houston Golden State games, the teams are, and I'm, I got a point I'm going to make, I'm circling around on this first, but I'm just playing devil's advocate at the moment here. Go back and watch those Golden State Houston games. They are, those are smart, switchy, aggressive teams. I, I know Houston's defense hadn't been that good this year, but we'll see what happens on that Paul's back. But they're just playing off him, just dare. I mean, Golden State is sort of like known for this, right? Like they got a non-shooter out there. We'll play way off him. Like go for it, buddy. Like shoot it. And um, like like teams do with Draymond, and I think that maybe did sort of bog down Charlotte's offense a, a little bit in those games. But like, man, the second unit offense is has unless Tony Parker's going crazy, the second unit offense is, is gonna is gonna struggle, or, or Lamb's going crazy. The second unit offense is gonna struggle regardless. Um, I guess my thing is this: is that you can sort of look at certain points of the season and say, yeah, when MKG's out there, 
the offense does struggle. This team can be outscored in part because like scoring becomes so challenging for them. But like that isn't really a sign to Michael King Gilchrist. That's a sign to whether Kevin Walker's on the court or not. You know what yeah. I mean? Like ultimately that's what it comes down to. Like is your one a plus offensive player like is he out there then yeah you'll probably be okay is he not it doesn't matter who what the other five-man combination <laughs> is and like you're not going to score and i guess my point to that is is that if 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 the problem with the offense is that when you put this one guy out there and you're having trouble scoring because of that and like let's just say and i'm i'm just assuming it you know the, the, the decision could have not have been based off this at all but if if teams aren't guarding him when he's, you know, outside of 15 feet, when he's 20 feet plus away, you know, I don't know, man. Like, it's kind of I, – I like Brago. I think he's a good coach. I think he's pretty creative and stuff too. But, like, it's kind of on you to, like, figure out a way that that doesn't become a thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, yep. you know, it's on, it's on you to figure out a way to get him screening, to get him cut into the basket. It's on you to find lineup combinations where his offensive liabilities are going to be less – exaggerated than perhaps they than, than they normally are like you can't afford to not have this guy's energy his effort his his defense his yeah. rebounding like it's just it we said this earlier in, in a podcast way at the start of the season like when he's out there you never don't feel mkg you know some of these bench guys come in and, and some starters too and like you, you look at the box score and you're like this guy played 30 minutes like what the hell did they do out on the court, you never feel that way about Kid Gilchrist because he's flying around. He makes plays. Like I get again, I get the frustrations. The limitations are are obvious. Everyone who pays attention to this team knows knows what the deal is. But like, it, it just it just can't be. It, it just can't be. Oh, let me just take him out of the rotation and just hope that that's going to like solve it. You know, yeah. the offense is, isn't good enough for you to go all in on. Basically, is what I'm trying to say. And then one last thing on him. The game that they decide to take him out of the rotation is the Brooklyn game. At one point in that game, Brooklyn goes all wings. Like Brooklyn puts Brooklyn puts five guys on the court that are wings or guards. And perfect time to play MKG. Perfect. The ideal Rondé Hollis Jefferson is out there. He's like young MKG. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they're probably a year or two apart. But like you got you're out there with with Frank Kaminsky and Bismack trying to keep up with five wings. Like no, this is when you this this is when you should put out your six foot seven guy that can guard four positions, you know, like and guard all five on, on the court right now. Again, it just it's I can see it's so obvious to see why they would they would be interested in moving that the pieces around and trying to beef up on offense, but like it's just so it's just so bland and basic to just assume that taking this one hustle guy off the court is going to solve the. To the, the issues with the offense and with the you know with the defense and the rotation, right? And I and I would agree with your point, Brian, about you know Borrego's got to find a way to get a little bit more creative and using him in the offense. And you know it's not just on MKG to be the one that kind of solves that issue. It's almost as it's almost as if MKG should never be catching the ball out on the perimeter, taking himself away from the basket. He should always be moving towards the basket and receiving the ball that way. Only and, playing with only playing with Frank and Marvin, you know, like yeah. if that's the case. You know what I mean? Like so right. that he's always that always, he's in always the, middle, the, yeah. the middle. Yeah, make yeah. that the thing. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, you're Richard. good. And and another thing, just I can't stand these people that are saying Batum has kind of overtaken his position in terms of like the the point def- on point defender, the guy that we're gonna turn to late in games to stop 
I would agree that Batum has improved this year. Um, he is picking up people full court, and he has shown signs of improvement on that end. But to me, MKG is, is still the guy on this team that I would turn to on the defensive end. We could have used him uh, against the, the Trailblazers just at least as an option. Throw him out there on Rodney Hood to see if we can slow him down. Seriously. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I understand that he's trending downwards, but like Spencer said, you can't completely take him out of the lineup. Well, and, you know, the the bigger picture of all this, and I was kind of getting to this earlier, but, you know, when you're trying to do a hundred different things at once, which mm-hmm. kind of feels like the situation here, I, I can't even say I can figure out what about 20 of those things are exactly, but you're trying to do so many things at once if you're James Borrego because you're trying to make the playoffs. At least that's what I would imagine. Yep. But in the meantime, you're just continuing to, you know, fall deeper into deeper into this quicksand while Malik Monk, you know, who at the trade deadline a few weeks ago, we're sitting here going, glad they didn't put him in a deal. And, and all of a sudden, he's back on the bench getting DMPs, yeah. you know. And, and, and you're forcing Miles Bridges onto the floor into all these situations in a switching scheme that he cannot keep up with, very obviously, which is fine. He's a rookie. And Frank Kaminsky, who's been sitting on the bench all year, is now playing. It's like... What what are we like? What is the plan? What are we doing? Are we just trying to make the playoffs and we're just gonna throw stuff at the wall blindfolded until something sticks? Because yeah. that's not a plan. Yeah, like it's just not. And it's the absence of a plan is what it is. Right. Yeah, it, 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 that's right. And you're right, Richie. You said it earlier. You know, we we gave Steve Clifford uh, a lot of flack for you know being almost you know beat your head against the wall consistent with his rotations, but. Yeah, I mean, you look at a situation like this, and you're like, well, at least at least he had enough guts to just say, this is what we are, this is who we are, this is what we're doing every single night, and those teams got to beat us at this style. And that's the most, I mean, that right there is the most frustrating thing to me with this Hornets team this year, is that I don't know what their identity is, and they lack a, they've got to be one of the least tough teams that's not tanking. They probably are the least tough team in the league. It's not tanking. I mean, look at Memphis since the All-Star break. I mean, those guys made a, a, a big trade, but they didn't get any great players back. They have the best defensive rating in the NBA since the All-Star break. In the NBA. Wow. And they're going to be a lottery team, and they've known that for weeks now, right? Yeah. Like, those guys yeah. are showing up to work and care about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Hornets are disheartened. I mean, if you watch their body language, watch, watch Kimba's, watch how they don't talk to each other. This team it just kind of understands who they are, and they're not sure what else to do. And to Brian's point, kind of bring it all home here, it is his job. It is James Brego's job to figure out a way to get these guys engaged and to figure out a way, you know, a smaller example, to get MKG in the game and use his energy. So when I look at a team that's not communicating with each other, has no identity, where else do you want me to look except for the coach? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the identity is pick and roll with Kemba, and like that's it. Like that's it. There, there's nothing else. To there, that it's there's yeah, but that's else that's on it. offense, right? Like yeah, I know, like, I know. But show I'm saying, some I'm, hard on defense. I'm saying there's. I'm saying like on both sides of the court, that's all they got. Like there, 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 there is there beyond that. Yeah, there is right. there is nothing that is identifiable that that stands out as being like a good, good like DNA trait of this team yeah. other than Kemba Cody pick and roll that's all right. they got and Clifford had that and in his team yeah. the Orlando Magic oh. uh looked like they're going to be in you know a better yeah. position to make the playoffs than we are so yeah. 
playing great basketball. Seriously. Great let's basketball. um let's transition to Frank Kaminsky because I know we can't go an episode without talking about him. Uh, in the past two games, he's averaging sixteen and a half points, seven rebounds, and shooting thirty eight percent from deep, and also just fifty five percent from the field in general. Making the most of his opportunity, like we talked about, MKG, DMP, CD. The past two games, Frank Kaminsky has been reinserted into the rotation the past two games. And uh, last night, uh, Sunday night against Portland, he had 18 points, seven rebounds, did a great job of uh, beating players off the dribble, finishing around the rim. He even had this great play, this pick and roll, side pick and roll with Parker, where Parker thought he was going to pop out uh, for three. Then he started cutting to the basket. He made this acrobatic catch, did a spin, and uh, finished over traffic. So he's definitely making the most of his opportunity. It's almost like he's playing with a point to prove, you know, he's, he's determined he's out there uh, to your point, Brian Geisinger, your little stats with the and one screaming. He's, he's got that going on. Yeah. He's, pl- he's playing with energy <laughs> that you don't really consistently see out of him. So my question mm-hmm. to you all, is this something that can we really count on this moving forward to the end of the season? Or is he going to have more downs as we, uh, you know, more ups and downs as we progress? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I can expect him to be on the floor in the next game or not, you know, so I don't, <laughs> um, but I, look, I think you're right. I think Frank is, you know, playing with a chip on his shoulder. There's been some um, animosity between him and the team, which we've discussed uh, well in this podcast and has, has been floated out there in the public. And, uh, you know, yeah, he, he's playing with something to prove. He's just playing with uh, a lot of energy. He's a, he's shooting the ball with zero hesitation offensively. Um, and, it, you know, there is a difference in his body language when he was shooting wide open shots uh, last season that uh, consistently missed. And the shots he's shooting this year, he's stepping into them and he's like he wants to make them. I mean, there really is a very clear um, body language difference to me. And then he's attacking closeouts. Right. And he's. Uh, yeah. You know, he's getting into that pinch post area and using those spins and those twirls and those, you know, those little uh, creative acrobatic moves that he has to score and get to the foul line. So, uh, you know, look good for Frank, right? Because I'll be the first to admit I was, you know, pooping all over this guy on this podcast last week. But, you know, he this stuff means something to him and he's not happy for whatever his reasons are for. Um, not getting an opportunity in Charlotte this year and then not getting traded and then not getting a buyout. So he's this is how he's coming out to prove it, which that's good. That's good that he's he's taking it out on the floor and, and not elsewhere at, at this stage. I think he's taking it out elsewhere before now. But, but yeah, it's nice to see play, Frank play well. It's just like, okay, I, I guess Frank's playing now. Yeah, whatever. It's so weird. Yeah, him being like the the, the like, you know, there are those brief moments of insanity you're having Friday night while watching the Brooklyn game where you're like, is Frank Kaminsky going to, is he about to save the season for the Hornets? Like, is this, is this, is this the guy that's going to like prop up a bench offense and, and give him a, a space five and, and all of a sudden they're going to get hot. And, you know, like you guys said, it, he's played pretty well, eight and nine shooting in the restricted area the last two games. Um, he's shot pretty well from above the break on threes and stuff like that too. And he's, he's doing his little thing in the mid post. Um, as usual though, man, like all roads with the Hornets lead through Kemba Walker in the 38 minutes with Frank Kaminsky and Kemba on the court, Hornets 118 points for 100 possessions, net rating of seven plus 17 with Frank Kaminsky on the court, Kemba off 14 minutes, 103 points for 100 possessions, minus 12 net rating. Kaminsky's effective shooting the last two games with Kemba on 68%. Uh, Kaminsky's effective shooting with Kemba off 40%. 
So like, yeah, he, he, the guys, the guys playing good minutes for the Hornets when he's next to Kemba, which has been a trend of his actually going back over a couple of years. Um, all the threes he's made in these last couple of games have come when Kemba's on there. Uh, Ten of seventeen shooting, fifty nine percent, three of six on threes with Kemba out there. With Kemba not on the court, two of five shooting, zero of two on threes, and the Hornets are minus three in those fourteen minutes too. Again, tiny sample, um, but yeah, look, man, give him credit. Like this is. You know, a souped-up version of this is what the Hornets were hoping for when they drafted him, right? And I do think a big part of I do also give him credit for his ability to beat a closeout. Like yeah. that's been a bugaboo of his for a couple of years now. Teams could play small, run him off the line, and feel pretty good about it. And you know, if he if he can if he can has a counterpunch to that, that's that's a big deal. But like, I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough to see him having a future in Charlotte with the free agency with the the teams with the team's financials this summer with the way this season has played out with, you know, what seems to be some, some animosity and some acrimony and some, some back channeling through the media. It's hard to see them being a part of the, of the future. So, you know, I guess we'll see, but if, I guess if you can also help them get a playoff spot, it would be kind of a big deal too. Like, I guess, I don't know. Yeah. Well, to answer my own question, I, I kind of find it hard to believe that he's going to keep up this consistent play from now in the last 20 games or so that we have left in this season because that's just who Frank is. He's been inconsistent since we've got him and drafted him. And uh, it's great that he's having this stretch of play here, that he's playing determined and everything like that. But uh, let's get to the last question here. I think that most fans probably wouldn't like that I'm asking this question, but does it make more sense for the Hornets to make the playoffs as probably the eighth seed, get some playoff experience, and probably get swept still? Or does it make more sense for the Hornets to miss the playoffs altogether and get that better draft pick? I have thoughts on this, but I'll, I'll let you guys go first. Brian, what are your thoughts on this? Make more sense yeah. for them to make the playoffs or not? So right now, Basketball Reference has the Hornets as a 41% chance of making the playoffs. 538 is giving the Hornets a 32% chance of making the playoffs, winning 36 games. So yeah, the... Probability numbers are starting to slide, uh, not in favor of the of the Hornets. No surprise, especially since the after the All Star break. Um, look, it, it here's the thing: in a vacuum, would it would it be okay for the Hornets to 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 miss the playoffs and get a lottery pick? Like, of course, this team needs good young players. Like another shot at the lottery machine, and you know another top ten, top twelve pick. You get. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Kobe White, DeAndre Hunter, like, yeah, this team could use any of those guys, right? You know, it's the only problem is you came into this season with, like, two big objectives, which were, you know, outside of, like, develop the young guys, but it was, yeah. like, make the playoffs and re-sign Kemba Walker. And so if you miss the playoffs, and does that, A, impact you in your ability to sign Kemba Walker, and does that then also make you rethink stuff from the trade deadline with, you know, the, the inability to swing a Marcus soul deal. Like, does that, do we have to rethink? I, I'm not to the point now where we need to rethink that, but maybe at some point the team has to relitigate that. But if you don't make the playoffs and Ken believes, yes, as I've said, and it would certainly give them a little lottery pick and give them, a, it would clear cut and incision so that they would know what they're doing and they would be rebuilding. But like, it is a little bit of a, it is a little bit of an organizational cluster bleep, right? Like if the two things that you, the two biggest things that you set out to do and you swung and missed on both of them, even though it would sort of like lead them with a, a roadmap for what to do next, you know what I mean? It would still be, 
it wouldn't be the best look. Um, so we'll see. Like, I, I think ultimately missing the playoffs isn't bad, especially because, like, best case scenario, you get swept by the by the Bucks. You just like I know the Hornets have played them kind of competitively at this year, but like they're a machine. They'll kill you. Like you ain't ready for it now, especially now that they have uh, Miritich. Um, but if you could tell me that the Hornets could miss, if you could right now cut me a deal and say, all right, Hornets missed the playoffs, but the the franchise is able to re-sign Kemba, like I I take that right now. You know what I mean? And but I think the concern would have to be like, is that the nail in the coffin with Kemba in in Charlotte? I don't think it has to be. Um, but is it a possibility? Yeah, yeah, I guess probably. Yeah, that was well said. I I don't think it makes much of a difference. Um, I think you're talking, you know, the difference of the 12th pick to the 15th or 16th. Right. Uh, I just, at the end of the day, I don't think that matters a whole lot. Um, mm-hmm. I like some of the guy, and, I, and I've started to dig in on the draft a little bit more recently. I think there's a big question mark after you get past probably – Reddish at four, whatever, whoever you want to say the order is between <laughs> Reddish and Morant. After one, by the way, too. Yeah, yeah, and there I, is, there yeah. is, there is. But I, but I, I think, I, there, know, I yeah. know what you mean. Yeah. So, but I think that there's, I think that there's some players that, gosh, this draft could just go so many different directions. Yep. <laughs> That's actually going to be the biggest storyline and, and fascinating part. But like. Alexander Walker out of Virginia Tech, Hachimura out of Gonzaga, and Nasir Little, who's been disappointing, but coming on a little bit in North Carolina. Like, all these guys are like Bull Bull, who's been injured and out all season at Oregon. Like, all these guys have the potential to be like NBA All Stars one day, but they're all slated. And really, a lot of the mocks you look at to go in the middle, like outside of the lottery in the middle of the first round right now. So, I do think there is value in that area, which is. Why I just think you get one of those guys, whether you pick 12th or 16th, who cares? So I think the Hornets have to go for the playoffs for the very simple reason that, yeah, it means a little bit more to Kimba probably, number one. And then number two, uh, yeah, you get that you know, extra $4 million in revenue from having two playoff home games. That means something. It doesn't mean anything to fans. It means a lot to the franchise as a whole. So I think they have to go for it. I, I just what is what is the benefit for the Hornets to give themselves the – you know, 10th best, ninth at the very best uh, lottery odds at this point. I mean, yeah, the rules have changed, but not enough to benefit you enough to now tank. It's too late. You have to go for it. But, you know, again, I think we've discussed, like, that should be the overlying theme of this entire episode, Richie, is, like, what we've discussed the whole time should really be the goal from here on out. Develop a plan, right? Yeah. Like, let's have a strategy into these into this you know, home stretch here and come up short or not, you know, whatever. Let's just know who we're rolling out there every single night. Let's know who we want to be as a team and let's go try to get this done. I mean, this lack of defensive identity is, is almost to the point where it's just uh, like, I don't want to watch because, you know, we, we, uh, we watched the Hornets under Steve Clifford's for, you know, over half a decade. Right. So we understand what it's like to watch a team that has a defensive identity and they have a mission on that side of the floor. And to watch this squad just have nothing on that end is, is really disheartening to me. So I, um, if one person from the team listens to the show, can we, can we relay that to Borrego? Let's just have a mission. Let's have an identity on that end of the floor to, to, to finish the season. Right. I'll give my thoughts on this. I think my thoughts differ a little bit from uh, the both of you, or at least slightly. Clearly, the Hornets will be pushing for the playoffs like we just stated. There's no doubt about that. They're going to be pushing for that eight seed, and, and they're in position to do so. But I think even with them 
you know, pushing for the playoffs. Brian just brought up the projections. They probably still won't make the playoffs. But yeah. having said all that, I do fall on the side that I think that Charlotte would be better off missing the playoffs. Um, and I'll bring up a couple reasons why. First off, yeah, a couple slots. Spencer might not make that big of a difference, but I think it might be huge when it comes to Charlotte, who are awful at identifying talent. Although, you know, last draft, I thought that Mitch did a pretty good job of, you know, selecting some solid players with his two draft picks. So it could be a different, you know, GM could make a bigger difference when it comes to identifying talent. But, you know, Charlotte has had poor luck in, in the draft. So getting as far as up as they could even if it's two or three slots above where they might fall if they do make the playoffs, I think will make a little bit of a difference. But my question is, or my thoughts are, we talk about making the playoffs being better for Kemba, but I think you could make the argument that losing four straight could sour Kemba's um, thoughts about this organization, maybe a little bit more than maybe missing the playoffs, because he had the taste of playoffs, and again, they get swept, they're out in four games. Does that argument make any sense, or am, or am I just out there with that? No, no, I, I think that's a good point. I think that's, that's a creative way to look at this. And uh, But, like, the, the, the realist in me says, look, man, if you had enough, you know, if your logic was I want to fight and, and claw to get to 41 wins and or 40 whatever and get the eight seed just to know I can match up with Milwaukee and then your expectation was you were going to compete in this in that series like that's kind of a backwards way to look at it but from a, an emotional standpoint Richie I think you're right like you get into the playoffs you're a competitor you want to win and then you get embarrassed in four straight games and you're like yeah maybe I should get out of here like no that makes right. sense right yeah. exactly that that's kind of my thoughts about it I think that at the end of the season, there's going to be disappointment. Not making the playoffs or getting swept in the first round of the playoffs. I thought maybe just getting swept again or, and just kind of having no chance. But I, I, know, I know you're in the playoffs, but that to me that sours his uh, thoughts about yeah. the team. And, and uh, two other things on, on, uh, on Kemba. One is like there are going to be some factors that are totally outside of Charlotte's control that are going to play a role in this too, right? Like what Kyrie does, what – Kevin Durant does. There are going to be other, there's going to be stuff that goes on. You know, if certain ships don't align a certain way, you know, leaving could be, leaving to go to a different market could be less appealing, you know what I mean, for, for Kemba than it would to, to stay in, in Charlotte. And the second thing, too, is it's like, I guess my hope would be, and this is almost certainly optimistic, but like the hope would be that like the front office in Charlotte, the ownership, these people have pitched a vision to Kemba that should go beyond just what the like end result is the last like month of the season. Do you know what I mean? Like making the playoffs versus not making the playoffs in the lottery versus not in the lottery. It's like, have you sold this guy on an actual vision of the next five years of the franchise, which would cover the, the duration of his max contract or have you not, you know what I mean? Because it shouldn't, it, a lot of things go into making a decision, you know what I mean? And it shouldn't just be, it's like, is he your guy or is he not? Is this his franchise or is it not? You know what I mean? And and he gets to make what he's earned the right to make whatever decision he wants. And I think every, whatever, if he left Charlotte, whatever team he went to would become every Hornets fans favorite team or second favorite team, probably, you know, one of those two. But, um, but so, yeah, I just, I think it's like, hopefully it, it won't just be, uh, it won't be just this like this like small minor 
results-based decision. You know, like the, it should, hopefully he's not swayed too much, but basically how the last six weeks of this season go. And he can. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be a big surprise. Maybe that's the the best thing for him to do. Like whatever. It just. It's like this is. This is either your franchise or it's not, and it shouldn't matter whether you got swept in the playoffs or or didn't make the playoffs altogether. Do you know what I mean? It has to be. Yeah. It has to be more. Has to be bigger, and uh, there needs to be a, a, a more of a macro view of things than just that small, that results based. That that exactly what you just said, BG, is the perfect parlay to a very small, not a small point, but a quick point I want to make. Um, and I would encourage every Hornets fans to do, to do this. If if you're a salary cap guy, you already know it. If you're not and you don't care about that stuff, just go outside your comfort zone for a second. Go to shamsports.com, go to the calculator tool, and plug in what Kimball Walker's all-NBA, if he made all-NBA this year, which it doesn't look like he's going to right now, but go look at what that five-year contract would look like, and then go just look at the 190 million contract yeah. um, that the Hornets could give him over every other team for five years, over what every other team in the league could give him over four, and and then you look at that and you look at those books in the in these years coming up for the Hornets, and you tell me is is he worth it? And it, it is nothing against Kemba. We all love Kemba. I think that's that's very transparent, but. It, it, exactly what Brian just said. We need a macro approach. We need a 10,000-foot view of this franchise right now. Not, you know, in the door every single day, nuts and bolts, day-to-day operation. Like, we need to look at this thing from a bigger picture. And if that means going through five seasons of miserable basketball, I ha- and we, I think all three of us yes. have made it very transparent from the beginning that that would be worth it. And just go look at those numbers for Kimba. I love him as a player. Not sure he's worth a five-year max contract. Thank God this is the NBA and not the MLB where we can give out 13 years, $330 million contracts. So that, that's all I would – I would encourage every Hornets fan to do that. Well, thanks again, guys, for tuning in to another BuzzBeat pod. The Hornets' next two games are at home against Miami and Washington two very quote-unquote winnable games for the Hornets uh, before they actually play Milwaukee and Houston and get games of which we probably are going to just pencil oh, in. Oh, good. Yes, pencil those <laughs> in as an L. But <laughs> So we, we got to get all the games that we can, the, the winnable games, the games at home, uh, if we are pushing for that eighth seed, which they clearly are. But be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at BuzzBeatPod, and please take the time to give us a five-star review and rating on iTunes. It does make the world a difference. For Spencer, for Brian, I am Richie. We will see you guys next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.